Hello and welcome to Meet Our Makers, an artist interview podcast produced in association with Beats Per Minute. I'm your host, Jeremy J. Fissette. On this episode, we get to meet Alila Diane. Alila Diane is a singer-songwriter hailing from the Northwest. And in this chat, she and I discuss her brand new record just came out called Looking Glass. We talk about the recording process of it, the writing process, which included selling her longtime, very memory-filled house. Um, You know, we unpack the symbolism of that house and kind of how we process those types of things in life. We talk about how life can sort of be divided into chapters, how writing songs can be totally used as an outlet for the dark stuff so that you have time in your life for the good stuff. We also touch a little bit upon some of our favorite ladies like Joni Mitchell, Judy Sill, and of course, Joanna Newsom. We talk about a lot more too, and I think you'll enjoy it. So thank you for listening. This is me meeting Alila Diane. My dog is sleeping right next to me, so we'll probably have noises in some fashion or another. Ah, so thanks for coming in. How are you doing today? You know, I'm doing all right. It was a little bit of a stressful morning of like booking international flights, which is never my favorite thing to be doing. <laughs> I feel like the price goes up like every five minutes when you're like, no, I'm trying to buy this one. <laughs> but I'm fine other than that. <laughs> That's not the worst problem to have. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I haven't been overseas for a while, so yeah. I think it'll actually be good to get back to it and start playing some shows again. Yeah, you have a, a sort of sort of a smallish tour for Europe it's right now. Like, it's like a press trip with a okay. couple of of shows scattered throughout. Um, okay. Yeah. Um. So we should mention off the top the reason you have this these press shows and the main reason I invited you here today is uh, your new record, Looking Glass, which is out October 12th. Um, I think it's out the 14th. I thought it it was the 12th for like months. And then, I don't know, a week ago, someone informed me it was the 14th. So I guess it's the 14th. It's that week. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's sometime that week. Give or take, whenever. Yeah, Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, And I was sort of surprised to read, which I, I hadn't thought about this way, but it's your sixth solo record. And for yeah. some reason, I thought it was like your ninth. Like, it just feels oh. like I've I been listening been, to you for a while and you've been, been around. It's been a long time. Yeah. It has. My first record I recorded in 2004 and then it came out in 2007. Mm-hmm. So it yeah, has been a long time. Yeah. And maybe that's compounded by your sort of recent reissue of that debut. Yes. Which I... Yes. about and so I'm like wow it's only it's only the sixth record but it is it's your sixth record good only the sixth I thought the sixth felt like a lot no I think it's great okay perfect <laughs> I'm and still fresh then yeah and it's been a few years since your last one um it's been just over four years I think mm-hmm. since uh cusp came out and that I think was also the year that the reissue came out and then we had a pandemic and then there was this thing that happened. So to <laughs> you are one of the few who got away with putting out a new record and doing a whole cycle of it in the year before. Right. Versus yeah. 
all the people, many yeah. of whom I've talked to for this show had stuff planned for like April of 2019 and that didn't work yeah. out. So you, you released Cusp and then this happened and now you have Looking Glass coming out. Not that the mm-hmm. pandemic's over because of course it's not, but yeah, it's different now. It's different. So how are you feeling, especially given that and then also that we're now only a few weeks out from the record? It feels really good to be getting back to it. I think for me, the time at home and the pandemic wasn't, for me, wasn't going to be a time that I was touring heavily anyway. And it was, it was part of this cycle for me where I was going to be writing. So I started writing some of these songs as early as like 2018, Mm. kind of right after Cusp came out. Um, And then I continued work on them you know, the complications of having no childcare during, during the pandemic was hard. And I found myself being forced to carve out really little, small, awkward moments of time to work on music. My, my husband would work till, you know, two 30 or three, I would be with the kids till then. And then I would kind of get maybe two hours of compromised time where I was kind of tired from everything that was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in, uh, 2021, we did a pod school for our kids. So that allowed me to have basically school hours to work. Mm-hmm. And I just kept chipping away on working on the songs and reworking the songs. Um, and I recorded this album in the spring of 2021. Okay. So it's been right. Now. Yeah. yeah. And I sat on it for a little while the past year. I mean, everything has been really up in the air as far as like, how do you go on tour? Like, what is this going to look like? Um, every, everything being pushed back. Like it's just, yeah, it, it, it pushed the timeline out a lot just based on all of that. Um, and we moved as well. I was, selling my house and we were mo- buying a new house the same week that I recorded the record. So oh, it was like a chaotic <laughs> moment of like staying up late painting and then uh, waking up at 6am to practice my songs so that I could play them through when we went to record. <laughs> that is a, that is a lot for one week. <laughs> it, it was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it was a little do, crazy. Do you think that made its way into the recording somehow? I think that the result was that I felt really raw emotionally, which I think is a good way to feel when you're recording music. Mm-hmm. I, I was, I was feeling, feeling the songs, I think. And I, and we were on the brink of such a huge transition and like selling the house that I had written so many songs in. it was very, it was intense. It was a lot. And I think Yeah, it forced a certain level of discipline for me to like just practice so much to make sure that when I did go record that I wasn't wasting any time because I was messing up the guitar part or something. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that was good. Um, And yeah, I think this record really, it marks the end of a chapter of life of like, I wrote them all out in my little backyard studio that I had painstakingly had built and was so excited about. And then, you know, I've since left that behind and I haven't completed my new studio at my new house yet. So 
I haven't written a song in over a year, but <laughs> at least I was sitting on something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you had a, a crop of I had a completed <laughs> record, yeah. So I was able to just like focus on moving into a new house and all of the craziness that ha- comes with that and fixing a place up. But, yeah, and, and I had in my notes, we can go there now, about the house, because I know the house was sort of this like living symbol of all of these major things that you went through and then but you know both good and bad and yeah. and then and now it's sold and it's someone else's and I'm just I'm kind yeah. of curious like how well I don't I guess that hasn't woven into the record at all because you wrote the songs before you sold it but like yeah how, how has that sort of gone for you emotionally that sort of like what has that represented for you emotionally well I think that house was like, for me, home has always been this like container for life. And it's always just been a huge part of my identity. My first record was written primarily inspired by the loss of my childhood home Mm. and like how difficult that was. And my parents split up. And so this sort of big letting go, like when I bought that house, it was 2009 And I was only able to buy it because I got a publishing deal. Like it was kind of one of the first big things that happened in my music career. And I was like, I need a home. I don't have a home anymore. So it was a really big deal for me to to be able to put a down payment on a house. And all of that kind of led us and the pandemic and everything led us to realizing that it was time to move on. And so that letting go of that container and that like, place that I lived so much life. I was married there. I got divorced there. I had two kids there. Um, and then we grew out of it and it was time to do the next thing. And so, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot there, but letting go was really hard. And I think in the music, you can hear that this is a very reflective record. So in a lot of ways, I am kind of looking back and forward on, you know, things that I experienced in that house or around that time of life and people that I knew. And so it all, it all is kind of tied in in that way. Yeah. It's like incidentally about this house, even though you weren't planning on moving necessarily for this record. Yeah. Yeah. So I was curious about those sort of narrative strands because the way that I sort of look back on the past few records I mean, you've never been a non-personal writer. You've always been someone yeah. who who writes your, what you're what's going on. <laughs> for better so, or for worse, <laughs> my stories. <laughs> and so, you know, you have about farewell, which is, for lack of much more attuned words, your divorce record. Yeah, and is very very upfront about it, and very mm-hmm. sort of hard on sleeve imagery kind of stuff. And then you have cusp, which is was largely, if I remember correctly, inspired by motherhood and um, yeah. yeah, and and especially your, you know, I had you had like sort of a near death illness mm-hmm. for a time. Mm-hmm. And so like those kinds of like on the cusp sort of moments. Right. And now we the have brain. right. And now we have looking glass where you say you're looking backward and forward. Um so then is that what sort of motivated much of this record thematically? I think This record, I was really, you know, in the context, a lot of it, or not, not all of it. Some of the the songs were written pre-pandemic and some, some were written during. It's reflecting 
there's a handful that are very much reflecting on not only my own experience, but like the state of the world right Mm -hmm. now and the, the feeling of the rug being pulled out from under all of us and what you are left with in the moment, you know, beyond the looking back and the looking forward, you're sitting in it. And how do you, how do you process the craziness of what is going on out there? Um, and how do you just go on and live your life and put one foot in front of the other, like find joy, even though everything is crazy. Yeah. Even though they're trying so hard to snuff out all that joy. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. But you know what? We got to find it. <laughs> yes. We got to find it. So, and I think, yeah, as, as a songwriter and also as, you know, a mom, just like, how do you, I feel like for me, I always end up putting the really intense things into my songs because that's how I can then have a joyful day-to-day life and, you know, show up for my kids and, and be present and not be like dwelling on all the dark stuff. I'm like, I'm just going to write a song about that. And then (laughs) mom mom will be back in a couple hours. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like I got to go upstairs for just a bit. Hold on. I mean, I have a little something I need (laughs) to say. So you have these pretty deep themes running through it. And I mean, I feel like it's probably almost impossible to write a personal emotional song these days. That's not somewhat informed by what's going on around us. Sure. Even if it's not overt. Um, but then musically, this record is also, um, it feels a bit more robust maybe than recent, like it feels like there's more people in the room. Um, so I don't know if that's true. That's just how it feels. But there weren't I'm, actual people in the room. Remember, we were probably we were true in the virtual, in the virtual room. In the virtual room, there were some more people. Yeah. I so, mean, there, I worked with Tucker Martin on this album and we hadn't worked together before. So he definitely brought a lot to the table so far as inviting other players right. on the album and something else that was different about the process of making this record was during COVID I learned how to self-record. Hmm. So I made really um, kind of like fully formed demos of most of these songs where I tracked guitar and piano and track, you know, drafted vocal ideas did a little piano thing that later became a flute melody or mm-hmm. so I had, I had come up with a lot of melodic melodic ideas in my own drafts of the songs. And I presented those to Tucker and then we kind we re-recorded everything. We didn't, none of my recordings appear on the album, but I think I was able to work a lot out in the process of like where the songs were going to eventually land. And I also, I had only just started playing piano before Cusp and I took piano lessons before COVID hit. I was taking lessons. So I think my skill set there improved a bit and I was often starting something on piano and then continuing to write it on guitar and then maybe coming back to piano. So there was a lot more fluidity Mm. in that process. And I think the development of, of the ideas that then we illustrated with like strings or, you know, other things, harp, like 
some of those were ideas that I had played with notes on the piano or had sung or something. Um, so that I think brought maybe a broader or more, mm -hmm. more robust sound as well. And the uh, arrangements are largely by um, Heather Woods Broderick. Heather Woods Broderick yes. did a lot of the arrangements. Some of the little ideas started with something I came up with and then she developed it further. Right. Um, my, my friend Ryan Francesconi arranged two songs on it as well. And Tucker invited various players that he knew to kind of re record remotely. So it really was a pretty concise, like skeleton crew for the main sessions. It was right. just, it was Heather and I, well, it was just me for the very initial recordings of the, the vocals and guitar and piano. And, um, Heather came and then it was me and Heather and Tucker and his assistant Cole. And it was just the four of us for, for the first, I don't know, week or mm -hmm. so. Um, and then a lot of the, a lot of the guest mu musicians, because of the time that we were in the spring of 21, um, a lot of it is recorded remotely. It's amazing. What it's amazing that what we, we accomplished. That now, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, it's funny that you hadn't worked with Tucker before being a Pacific Northwesterner. Well, strangely, I recorded, I recorded Cusp and About Farewell at his studio. But not with him. But not with Tucker. Oh. So I worked with his buddy, John Askew, who is able to use Flora sometimes, mostly when Tucker's out of town or something. So I knew that I loved the studio and, you know, Tucker and I had just met in passing kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I had always wanted to work with him. And I think because so many projects of his had been canceled mm -hmm. because of COVID, his schedule was way more open than it normally would have been. And mm -hmm. that was also a, a reason why we were able to make this record too. Yeah. I mean, he definitely has a signature sort of like yeah. warmth to his productions. Totally. I feel like you can kind yeah. of tell when it's a Tucker routine. So it's a good fit. I think it makes total sense, especially for this specific set of material. I, I yeah, would say. For sure. um, I am, I am wondering if you could expand a, a little upon the title um, because mostly because I was just listening to the record right before we came on and I, I caught it in the song mother's mm -hmm. arms where it's right. from. Um, and you talk about the looking glass of screens and it's a scene with your daughter. Mm -hmm. And so how did you know that like that was the moment that would become sort of this eponymous moment? Well, I think so that line, the looking glass also gets mentioned in a song called Strawberry Moon. Which I missed, of course. I, I didn't catch so it that it, time, but I caught it the second time. To it. And so... The definition that I'm referring to is when everything has is not what it seems like and has been flipped upside down, sort of like the um, Alice in Wonderland, mm. like, you know, things are distorted and right. not as expected. And that's definitely a reference to what we just lived through, like everything that we knew to be consistent and true wasn't anymore. And the looking glass of screens, like that line refers to how much of our experience was re 
reduced to doing what we're doing now is Mm -hmm. looking at each other through a screen or gleaning information in that way. Um, And I think on the the song Strawberry Moon, the, the way I'm referring to that is, so that song is pretty dark and it's about basically just losing loved ones to addiction. And that song sort of became about several people whose paths really went off the rails. People that I knew whose paths went off the rails in the past couple of years. And you always kind of find that information out about, you know, a friend of a friend or someone that you sort of right. knew in high school. It's like you find out in this really odd way where you're like, so all of a sudden, like their Facebook page is like a memorial and you're like, whoa, like what's yeah. happening here? And so I think we're all sort of spying on each other these days. And it's usually a one way mirror as well. It's like your own experience and you're kind of like peeking in on, oh, I'm going to go see what's what that person is doing over there. Oh, that happened. Crazy. You know, mm-hmm. so it, it's it's a reference to like the way that we're all weirdly connected and not disconnected right now, too. Yeah. So I think that the title takes on a few meanings that also relates to you know looking glass is also a mirror and it's a reflection it's looking back it's looking forward and it's so it it kind of it's a mixed bag it's all those things if that makes sense it does it makes total sense and it yeah it's funny you mentioned that we're all sort of secretly spying on each other without realizing it um I don't know if you've heard the, the new Jessica Hoop record I haven't. Which just came out. It's oh, really cool. good. I only know that because I've listened to it a lot. Yeah, uh, but yeah. she has a song where she basically yeah. talks about that. There's like a line where she says, I unfollowed all your social media. It made me feel like a peeping Tom. Totally. And that's yeah. true. Is it not? Like, true. Yeah. it is weird. Is It's a little weird. And maybe we don't distance sure. ourselves from it enough. I don't know. Exactly. Um, we all struggle with how to balance it and like yeah. what Ugh. feels normal and how, how to actually just be in real life. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's weird. Weird time. It's a, it's also it's also weird from my end as a writer and interviewer because like I get to spend an hour with all of you guys, so it's like I'm I guess like I talk to you more than the other people with the one way mirror, but like right. and not you specifically, but like then you go you kind of go back to the one way mirror, and it is like you you have to reckon with that, and you have to yeah. like okay, this is just, this is the way it is. And like, it's, it's all right, but we have to figure it out. (laughs) Totally. I don't know. Um, I'm rambling anyway. So I did want to talk a little about Pirate's Gospel. Um, Not really like each of the songs, but the fact that we mentioned you reissued it um, recent, somewhat recently, was it the 15 year anniversary or was there not a number for it? it? I don't know if there was an actual number. Okay. I think we were trying to do something for the 10, but then that didn't okay. quite happen. Because <laughs> you reissued it in this beautiful packaging and then and you still play a lot of those songs on tour. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm always curious how musicians' re- relationships change with their older material. Because yeah. a lot of musicians on their sixth record, um, f- what, 15 years since their first record, wouldn't play those songs yeah. or wouldn't even remember how to play those songs right, right um and there may be ones on there that you couldn't play for the life of you i don't know but um you still play them like you you do maintain that relationship and i'm wondering how that has shifted over over time well, 
I think it's sort of been out of necessity and out of respect for my audience because that record was really important to a lot of people, specifically in Europe and more Hmm. specifically in France. I feel like in the US, it's maybe not as much. It didn't have as big of like a a splash or a cult following here um, Hmm. that it had in Europe. But over there, a lot of people like that's their main entry point for what I'm doing. And that's still their favorite record. Hmm. And so I feel like it has been important to just respect that and try to understand it because I have had times in my career and trying to move on from it and just let not playing the songs and people are always bummed. <laughs> I don't want to bum anybody out, you know, They're like, Oh my mama. Totally. <laughs> so what I've done with that is I play my favorite songs off that record. Sure. You know, I pick my, the ones that have withstood the, the test of time for me And those are the ones that I choose to continue playing. And when I did this reissue, I learned the whole record and I did a couple and it was hard. I think I had to watch YouTube videos of myself, like to learn how to play the songs again. That must've been a trip. Yeah. Kind of. (laughs) It's, it's a good tool though. I've actually had to do that a lot of times. Like where was my capo on that one? (laughs) Like that doesn't sound right. (laughs) That's not right. What, what chords am I playing? Um, So I did relearn all the songs. And I think in a lot of ways, it was kind of therapeutic for me to just be like, you know, this, this was a a time stamped moment of my life. And yeah, just kind of taking it at face value for what it was. I think for me, it's a little hard that that is the beloved piece of work, because I was such a new musician at that point. Mm. And when I hear it, I'm like, wow, I can hardly play guitar on this thing. This is great. You know, um, I know. I think think that's why it was charming too, and that's why it was endearing for people. I think Um, I it is really raw. It is, and I I think I heard an anecdote once from from an interview of yours where you were like, "On my older records, I just play the same verse chords as I do for the chorus," and I just thought that I had to like I couldn't do it. And then like at some point, you're like, "Wait, I don't. I can actually play different chords with the choruses." And I was like, "Oh, I never would have thought of that," but. It is, it is, it is probably true though. Like this, it's, it's a, it's, it's a blessing because mm-hmm. it's your first record. A lot of people disown their first records or they just kind of get lost. Yeah. Whereas your audience has sort of held to it, but yeah. also it is like this time capsule and it is it this is. Yeah. older version of you as a musician. That's so different probably in some ways from you now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I just try to respect you know, the person that I was then who created that, I mean, I was like 22. Yeah. When I which is that album. kind of awesome when no, you think of it that way. 21. I was 21. I'm 29. So that makes me feel. <laughs> well, I'm 39. So. <laughs> hey, it's fine. I can't wait to be 30. <laughs> oh, but it's all right. They're being 39 is okay. Yeah. I'm a little nervous about what's to come, but for now I'm good. Only, only good things. <laughs> only good things, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I do feel like I've been doing this for a long time. And I guess my hope is always like, you know, I'm very I'm proud of the record that I just made. I think I think it's a good record. And I hope that people can come into the modern time with me rather than holding me to and only listening to um music that i made you know 15 years ago yeah well there's yeah there's a place for both 
I think both there has to be a place for both. I mean, I'm super nostalgic for artists' first records too. I get yeah. it. Like yeah. we all have these beloved records. And I think it's because they're nostalgic for certain parts of our life too. Oh, for sure. So yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Like I always upset my beats per minute beats per minute people when I say that Beach House's first record is their best because it's like so not where they hit their peak but like I heard that in high school and it was like so comforting it's like yeah it's just there's there's a piece to that but you also understand as a music fan that like you're not going to go to a new Beach House show and see them play their old record exactly their first record nonetheless yes so there is a place in the conversation for both I would think yeah absolutely so I'm pivoting a bit uh, mostly because in my planning for this, I was speaking with a, another fellow writer of mine that I don't know in real life, but that I know that I, know, that uh-huh. I spy on online yes. um, named Alan Petter, mm-hmm. who you did a line of best fit yes, I just feature spoke with. With Alan, yeah, we had a conversation about your uh, some of your favorite songs, mm-hmm. and I read through his intro and I was struck by the note that says like there was no room for Joni Mitchell or Judy Sill. And so I'm here to try to finish that conversation. So I'm curious, what are some of your favorites of theirs? Because they're such giants. Oh. You know? And sidebar, while you hem and haw over which ones you tell me. Uh, I, I mean, see, here I am, nostalgic <laughs> for just everybody's favorite Joni album. Right. Blue. Right. It's so good. But it's so good. It's, it's so good. It's unimpeachably so, good. Right? It's really good. And I have... I discovered that my first year at college in San Francisco, and I was living in this really depressing apartment building, sharing a room with another student. Mm. And I was just like sitting there listening to Joni Mitchell Blue and like crying and mm-hmm. painting, you know, oh. sitting on the floor, painting a self-portrait yes. and crying to Blue, like as one Your does. tears working into yes. the paint. yes. <laughs> Very impactful album. <laughs> oh, so good. Um, I I bring her up specifically, not just because you mentioned her, but because uh, one of the great tragedies, it's not really a tragedy, one of the great tragedies of my life recently is that I went to Newport Folk Festival this year. And you didn't see And Jim. I went home before Brandy Carlisle's no. set and I found no. out later and I was so pissed. That sucks. I woke up to the news Monday morning because I like I was covering it for beats per minute, and then I was it was it was so hot. That's a real bummer for you. It was so hot, and I was like, you know, I just gotta go. I just want to go home. So I stayed for two days, and I went home, and then Monday morning I woke up, and everyone was like, Joni Mitchell played. Who was there? I watched the videos. I was so sad. I would have been really sad too. They're but you so know what's more sad is just not being at Newport Folk Festival at all, like me. <laughs> have you played Newport? You know, I have. Okay. I played Newport in in my early days. Um because it seems like you'd be right at, right at home there. Or okay. Like to be still-ish era. Right around then. Okay. Yep. I remember I played maybe right before the Decemberists. Oh. Or ne- right near them because I remember chatting with them backstage, and they're from Portland as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you've um, kind of linked, you've crossed paths a couple of times. But I haven't been invited back, and I would love to go back to Newport. I feel like at the time I didn't even know how legendary it was. I, I didn't was either, so, really. I I was so young when I had the opportunity to do a lot of these incredible festivals, and yeah, you know, I was invited 
to do a lot of really amazing things that I would like to do again, but now I'm not like the new folk girl anymore. So nobody yeah. me. It's and this was bad. my, this was my first time at Newport. <laughs> <laughs> this was my first time at Newport. And so I didn't realize how storied and legendary yeah, it was. It's, it's so like, a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And, and when also, I was there, I had no idea. That yeah. I, I mean, I saw some you. good people there. I didn't realize that they're like known for these kinds of surprises where people yeah. just kind of show up. I didn't know that. Now I know if I ever go again, I have to stay to the bitter end. Stay to the bitter end for um, sure. The only surprise, which was a good one, the only surprise I caught was a a very surprise appearance by Natalie Merchant. Oh, so cool. That was nice. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah, there. I and mean, it wasn't Joni Mitchell. It wasn't Joni. I mean, no offense to Natalie Merchant at oh, all, but no it wasn't Joni. It wasn't legendary. Thought she'd never play a show again, Joni Mitchell. Yeah. And did you watch that. the videos of it? I did. They're yeah. beautiful. So sweet. Like I would have cried. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> anyway, um, I know. I sh- I this is like the third time I've gone long about Joni Mitchell on this show. I, I should probably. Okay. It's I should... going long on for sure. <laughs> um. So Blue would be your, I guess, your favorite Joni album. Blue would be my favorite Joni album. Do you have like another, like a song from another record of hers that you think is like maybe a little underrated? Because oh, I, I, I can think of some. She has some underrated shit in her catalog. Sure a lot of underrated. Yeah. I don't know. I always, okay. I, I, uh, my mind goes blank on the spot sometimes. So my That's perfectly be. fine. Mine, mine would as well. Um. <laughs> I'm just like one of those people who's like, no, her 90s albums are good. Well, you know, uh, a Neil Young record that he made in the 90s that is maybe my favorite Neil Young album is Harvest Moon, which I know is a beloved record, but also like he made it in the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know? That's pretty well so into his career. It's very well into his career. And yeah. I've had that, that was the only CD player in my car for about five years. And I just never tired of it ever. Like still could put it on any old time. It's actually still in my car. (laughs) (laughs) That's about to become another like living symbol, like your house, like this, this CD that's followed you. That, you know, you can always rely on. You're never bummed to listen to Harvest Moon. No, and you... It's funny because I was about to say you are a little bummed to listen to Blue because it's a real gloomy time. <laughs> sad record. It's so sad, but it's also just so good that like I can't help but feel yeah. joy when I listen to it. Yeah, totally. Um, and then Judy Sill, you mentioned, who's great. Judy Sill also. is great. Yeah, she's such a unique songwriter. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and her whole like life story, it's just wacky. Yeah. That she, you know, the religion and the heroin addiction and the, it's that, just uh, an interesting cross-section there. <laughs> that song that Laura Veers wrote for the Case Lang Veers record, Song oh, for Judy. I, okay, I don't even think I've heard that. Uh, have you heard I, that record? The one she I made know with? of that record, but it's I really good. I ever deep dived into it. Well, she has a song called Song There's for Judy song. that's all about that and it's 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 oh i'm gonna have to go listen yeah it's really good (laughs) so i must circle back briefly to uh, to ryan yes uh you mentioned him earlier ryan francesconi um sort of multi-instrumentalist composer extraordinaire Mm -hmm. you had a record with him a few years back called cold moon um i liked that record a lot and i was fortunate enough to see you to play some of it 
um, when you opened for Joanna Newsom in Boston. Yes. Yes. Um, so that was really cool. I'm sidebar. I could also go long about Joanna for like hours and hours and hours and hours. Hope she's doing well. Um, she is. I can okay. Okay. At least well. tell me that at least she's doing well. She's um, doing I, well. I will say I did see her solo show, um, that she did in New York a couple years ago and it was a little, you know, it was a little sad because someone, she was doing a Q and a, and someone was like, when are you gonna, you know, put out a new album? And she was like, whenever I write some songs. And we're like, okay, (laughs) but I'm sure she will write songs again. I'm sure she will again as well. And that's, you know, and her work is so rich. I'm still, I'm still unpacking it. So it's fine. Totally. Anyway, so a lot there for us. Yeah, I agree. I agree. (laughs) Um, So how did the cold moon record come about? Did you guys know each other already? Yeah. So Ryan lives in Portland. Mm-hmm. Joanna and I grew up together. So I, right, I think I knew that actually. Um, we're both from Nevada City, California. So I knew Ryan through Joe and just kind of, we both lived in Portland. And I think we made that record after I had my first kid And I was in a moment of really not knowing what to say yet about me personally. And I was wanting to do some music, but I wasn't quite ready to make another solo record. The songs weren't coming. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think we just had maybe run into each other at a show or something. And I was, I was saying, you know, I think I was feeling pretty held back by my guitar playing at that time. And I was just like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, I don't know, maybe we should try to do something together. That could be cool. And it was a really nice way of like easing back into a music practice after becoming a mom. Mm. And we would get together like once a week in the morning. And he just kind of brought these incredible guitar parts to the table and did little drafts of them. And then I would just listen to them and I would just sit in a coffee shop and like write lyrics. And then I kind of worked on melodies on my own and then we would get together and practice playing the songs. Hmm. So yeah, it was a unique, it was kind of like a meditation of sorts, writing the lyrics to that. And, you know, there's some of my self in those lyrics for sure but they're also way more out there and existential than any other songs that I usually write and I think Mm -hmm. I was kind of tapping into the vibe of his playing and just like approaching songwriting in a totally different way which was a a cool thing to do so like working along someone who provided the instrumental opened you up in a way. Yeah. He, he sort of just had these fully formed, beautiful, epic guitar parts. And then I sat with them and wrote words and wrote melodies just over the top of the guitar parts that he made. And we would just have tea and hang out and, you know, it's so romantic. It's so romantic. Like in a nice old fashioned way, (laughs) in a nice old fashioned way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's such a lovely record. And I feel like, it's a good fall album. It's so yeah, I was I was trying to think of the word. It is so autumnal. It's so yeah. spare and it's so like red and orange. <laughs> it's just like, red and orange. It's, it's so falling it's so leafy, tree. yes. Like pumpkin um, spice lattes, you know. <laughs> a little bit. It only comes around, you know, for once one a year. Once yeah. a year. Um, so I'm I'm guessing that there won't likely be more cold moon. There records. probably won't be another 
cold moon. However, you know, Ryan and I always, I always have him, you know, do some epic string arrangement on my well, album. He is and on the new record. He is on the new record. Um, strangely, the only thing he plays, on, he actually plays on the new record is like noise guitar or something. <laughs> like some sound effect, like reverby guitar on one track. But he did arrangements and, you know, he invited a bas- a bassoon player to play on my album. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. You know, yeah. I'm surprised Ryan Francesconi doesn't play bassoon. I also am surprised that he doesn't play bassoon, but he does when make I, bassoon arrangements. So well, there you go. I mean, when I saw him play with Joanna, he played about 17 instruments. Yeah, so I guess one of them wasn't a lot of things. I guess one yeah. of them was not the bassoon, though. That is true. <laughs> so with this record about to come out, um, this if people are listening to this, it's either just about to come out or has just come out. Okay. Um, so how are you sort of feeling about the state of things right now? Like you're about to enter into the world kind of again, you're about to kind of re-enter the world again, both as a touring musician, as a press junket musician, and as your album being out in the world. And you haven't done that for a second. So how are you sort of feeling about how things are right now? What do you think we should be thinking about? Like what's important to you these days? Yeah. I mean, I think I feel good about getting out in the world mm. again. I always get sick on tour. I'm nervous about that. I mean, just sick with any old thing. Oh, and now you have uh, this new thing to worry about. I already had that thing. Oh, psh, you're good. Oh. <laughs> well, to be clear, I had COVID. I haven't had monkeypox yet. But... Oh, well. <laughs> but I did have COVID this summer, actually. And it was pretty bad, I have to yeah. say. It was uh, it was eight full days in bed. Mm. It was flattened. It was kind of worse than I thought it would be. <laughs> oh, I know. We're um, always like, oh, we'll be asymptomatic. Yeah, totally. Fine. A little cough. Fine. You know, I know a lot of people who really just had one or two days of like, eh, it was just like a mild cold, but I got totally taken out. So oh, geez. I, you know, if I get it again, it's probably going to maybe be less terrible. I hope so. I yeah, but I don't want to get stuck in a foreign country or something. I else. know. I, yeah, it's a weird time to be getting out in the world and things feel volatile and unexpected and I don't know, but I think we all just have to go on living and do our best and it feels exciting to be releasing music again. It, I don't know. It's a, also a weird time for the music industry and I don't know. It's just, Mm. it's confusing to like, for now, you know, I continue doing this, like this is my work and the thing that brings me joy. And I hope I can continue doing it for, you know, as long as I feel called to, Um, (laughs) but I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. (laughs) I hope so too. For my end, I hope so too. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm sure you will. Uh, Thank you very much for talking with me, Alila. The the new record is out soon. It's called Looking Glass. Um, I really appreciate you taking these these little hour with me today. Thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate the call. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you take care and have a good rest of your day. All right, you too. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye.
Thank you.